Hey guys, welcome back to the Survival Show podcast manly musing segment. I'm producer Ben, and shortly we will be joining Craig Cottle as he discusses the topic of hunting. In particular, he'll be discussing the use of firearms. Join us tomorrow for part two, which is all about how to use bows. All right, if you all are ready, let's get into today's manly musings. Hey everybody, this is Craig Cuddle, director of Nature Reliance School, co-host of the Survival Show podcast. Coming to you today from the beautiful Commonwealth of Kentucky in the middle of nowhere. Man, I love it. I've got a little laptop, just so you know how I record these things. I've got a little laptop computer, almost like a more more of a notebook style Dell computer. And I've got the headset to do everything I can to make it good sound quality. And on a regular basis, I had that on head out into the middle of nowhere and see what I can come up with as far as a good place to sit down so the bugs don't bother me and record these podcasts. So, yeah, man, I love it. I love it. And what a good topic I have today to be in a place like this where I can see about 20 different species of trees around me, an opening that's got deer tongue and plantains and clover and all sorts of interesting ecology that's going on around me. Today, my topic is hunting. It is now, as I record this, the beginning of August, and in the not-too-distant future, squirrel season will be upon us here in Kentucky. And I remember as I was growing up as a kid, uh, my dad and I always, always, always went squirrel hunting on the opening day of squirrel season, which was usually back then sometime shortly after school had got started back and so every time august rolls around i always start thinking more heavily about hunting although i probably think about it a lot anyway but in august i always think yeah this is time we're getting ready to get into hunting season some people look forward to basketball season some people look forward to football season i look forward to hunting season hunting seasons (laughs) so But what I thought I'd do is go through some of the fundamentals. What I've noticed in my own school, Nature Reliance School, is I've taught a a couple of intro to hunting courses. And in each of those classes, they have been filled up, for one, rather quickly. And they've been filled up with younger folks compared to me and my age. I'm 50. Uh, The last one I taught, uh, I said I'd take in 10 students for that class. We ended up taking in extra. We ended up having 15. We were supposed to go for about four hours. And I I mean, with that 15, I had to turn a bunch of people away. And we're supposed to go for four hours as an intro to hunting. And we ended up going for 10 just because I said, hey, listen, I'm going to hang around and we're going to answer your questions as best we can. Uh, If you can stay, you can stay, and if you don't want to stay, then head on home, and everybody stayed, and everybody stayed for another six, seven hours. It was was intense. So what does that tell me? Well, um, we know from statistics that hunting numbers are down, but I also know that part of that reason is that nobody's taking the time to educate people, and that's why I wanted to take the time to do that today. Here's some reasons why I think that hunting is a viable activity to be engaged in. First off, if you're into eating healthy, hunting provides a 100% organic food source for you. There's no additives, there's no steroids, there's no added growth hormones. Wild game is the ultimate in free-range meat. That's pretty interesting. 
you can go pay a lot of extra money for organic free-range food at the grocery store or you can buy yourself a rifle or a shotgun or a bow or the things that go along with it and have something that you can get free-ranging organic meat source for the rest of your life. So yeah, that's a good consideration. Secondly, and this is hard for people to understand that just don't know how nature and ecology and conservation and stewardship works, but hunting is one of the most key components of proper wildlife health. And proper wildlife health is just one cog of the wheel of an of an ecosystem, for example. And so in an ecosystem, if the elk are happy and healthy, then the other critters in the woods will be healthy and happy, like wolves and what have you. So in a recent class that I was in, we talked about the change that happened in Yellowstone when they introduced the wolves because what was happening there is the elk were coming down out of the mountains and lounging around in the lower elevations, which caused a lot of small herbaceous material to be eaten and just basically mowed down. And because there were no wolves in that part of the world, the elk didn't go back up. And so what happened is they introduced wolves, which pushed the elk back up, which allowed the herbaceous material to grow and, and so on. And so it was quite an interesting study that was shown to prove how valuable each cog of the wheel of an ecosystem is important. So hunters are personally and dedicated, responsible people to the conservation of other animals. Now, obviously, there's a lot of, of uh, discussion and debate on that topic, but what we know is that those bad apples are just like bad apples that are in teachers, bad apples that are cops, bad apples that are doctors. You know, they are a small portion of the greater, larger group of people that do things right. So your typical hunter is going to do things, stay within the law, do things as ethically and as fair chase as possible. And uh, they play an incredible vital role to conservation and stewardship of, of wildlife. The third benefit of hunting is that you get to spend a lot of time afield. You get to go out a lot. You have an excuse as if you needed one, but if you if you need one, then hunting gives you that opportunity to go out and experience nature in, in a way that almost forces you to spend more time outside. If, if, for example, it's extremely cold and you're just going out to enjoy the outdoors, it's hard to just enjoy the outdoors because it's so cold. But if you're going out to hunt, then you will deal with some of these barriers, if you will, to wanting to be outside. And when that happens, you spend more time outside. And by spending more time outside, you get to see all kinds of interesting things. Like, for example, where I sit here right now real close is the cabin where I do a lot of my writing. And um, this season alone, I have seen a mama deer and a baby deer right in front of me just running circles around the field. I've seen several different uh, turkey poults. Uh, mama turkey bringing baby turkeys out to bug in this field that I'm sitting nearby. Uh, I've seen groundhogs here. I've seen Cooper's hawks. I've seen owls, barred owls, screech owls, uh, great horned owls. You know, there's so much that I've seen just sitting right here, and that's not even when I've hunted. You know, in my hunting, I've had bobcats walk across my legs in the dark that I didn't know were there. I've had squirrels climb in a tree stand with me. I had a fox step on my foot one day, sitting on the ground out bow hunting one time. I, I've had some interesting things happen to me just because I was out hunting. And I don't know that I would have been out just sitting under a tree, for example, doing nothing 
other than just enjoying life back then when I was younger. Uh, now I get a lot of benefit from it because I know just going in and sitting down in the woods is positive. But back then, hunting is what took me there. And so I've learned so much and been able to see so much. Another one is that hunting actually brings you a lot of satisfaction when you get to put food on the table for the family that basically you didn't have to go to the grocery store and, and take a risk of, you know, some farmer down the food chain didn't take care of things properly or did take things pro take care of things properly. So, you know, I grew up hunting, so I come to accepting hunting very naturally. Uh, it was just the way of doing things for me and my family, or at least me and my dad. So it's very, again, very natural that I come to this topic and I have a lot of experience on it. And what I thought I'd do is go through the, the things that I think are essential for you to know that you need to be aware of before you start hunting. And what we'll do is we'll break, break these down through these different categories. I'm going to talk about the different types of game and uh, some considerations for each. We're going to talk about weapons. We're going to talk about shotguns, and we're going to talk about rifles. We're going to talk about muzzleloaders and bows and, and the things that go along with each and every one of them that make it all function properly. And then we're going to talk about how to utilize and select ammunition, as well as how these different weapons cycle and how they work properly. Because one of the big things that we need to talk about is uh, utilizing a weapon efficiently. Uh, killing animals is not a fun task to be engaged in, but harvesting animals with the purpose of food is something that I think is just necessary for me and my family. And when I do it, I just want to do it right, which means I don't want animals to suffer any more than they have to. Uh, I want to make a clean shot. I want it to be a kill shot with minimal suffering. And actually, I've said this many times, but if you do, if you take those kind of shots where there's minimal suffering, you also take the opportunity to have minimal damage to the food that you're harvesting. And so by in so doing, you get to harvest a more um, palatable food source. And I definitely want to make sure that we go over the four rules of gun safety. Uh, it's just one of those things, Jeff Cooper's, what's called Jeff Cooper's four rules of gun safety, which is pretty much just a standard way of considering gun safety throughout any industry, whether it's tactical, hunting, sport shooting, or anything thing of that nature. So that's it, and we'll see, uh, we'll see where this takes us today, and then we'll get into the other things that are left over from, uh, from this one, which is what we're calling part one, and get that in part two. For, for the first thing, again, let's get into the types of game. Basically, when you look at hunting, you've got to consider the things that you like to eat and then go about going out and hunting those animals. So if you like a red meat source, then you know hunting an elk or a deer or some of that nature is going to be something that you want to try to get into. Maybe you really prefer white meat like chicken and turkey and stuff of that nature. Then you probably want to start considering what kind of birds that you want to harvest, whether it's a, you know, a wild turkey or a grouse or a quail or something of that nature. But, you know, think about the food that you like and then try to harvest an animal. When I say try, I shouldn't say try. Then go about learning and researching and studying how to harvest an animal in such a way that you can find something close to the meat source that you like. Okay. Which brings up a, a, a worthy consideration. I get asked all the time, you know, what does so-and-so plant taste like? For example, let's just say dandelions. What do dandelions taste like? And my answer, my patent answer always is dandelions taste like dandelions. And the same is true for hunting. What does deer meat taste like? Well, deer meat tastes like deer meat. What does a quail taste like? Well, quail meat tastes like a quail. Okay. 
And the reason I do that, and it's kind of said in a humorous way, and we try to have fun with it in the Nature Reliance School community, uh, a way of doing things. But the reason I say that, it, there's a reason for my madness, and that is if you go out and you kill a deer and you assume it's going to taste like the ribeye steak that you just got from the grocery store or you got at the steakhouse, you're going to be sadly mistaken. It's not. It's going to taste like deer meat. So don't expect it to taste like beef because it's not beef. It would be like getting a chicken breast and cooking it and trying to convince somebody that it's some sort of venison or some variation of it. And you just just take the wild game as it is. And which also brings us to the topic of you know, that what people refer to as that gamey taste. How do you get that gamey taste out of it? Well, I don't. I don't do anything to get that gamey taste out of the wild game that I harvest. The reason is because that gamey, what's referred to as a gamey taste, which is often taken as a negative, is actually very nutritious meat source. And that's why, because it, it's not full of steroids, it's not full of hormones that have been injected into it. It's not full of just tasteless corn. A lot of these animals are going to be harvesting and utilizing organic food store food source themselves and so their body is going to taste like an organic food source think about a grouse that's been eating blueberries uh, all season long you know i've killed grouse before that have tasted like blueberries and so yeah i mean you can you can do that you can be very much expecting your wild game to taste like wild game and not the stuff you get from the store because that wild game in my opinion is the actual taste the food that we get from the store, chicken breast and beef and stuff of that nature, we usually put some sort of spice on it or we maybe we put Heinz 57 or ketchup or, or you know, some people call that blasphemy. <laughs> but we oftentimes put some sort of taste into our beef because, you know, really it's just beef. And wild game actually has its own uh, personal taste. And so that is something worthy of consideration. So, again, mammals and birds. You know, what kind of animal do you like to eat? Let's see if we can find something that suits that needs and, and run with it. Now, getting into the types of weapons, one of the things I, I want to make sure that we understand is that not every weapon is a good choice for all the game that you might be able to go out and hunt. For example, a rifle that shoots a cartridge, something like a two two three or above, you know, you don't want to be bird hunting with that because that shoots a cartridge, a bullet that's going to go for a considerable distance, and that's just incredibly unsafe. And so you want to be able to find that weapon of choice. Now, one of the things that is probably worthy of your time, if you have it, is to go about picking up my second book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear. There should be a link for that down below in the description. On page two, no, I'm sorry, page 185, I just pulled it up so I could look at it. On page 185 of that book, I've got starter weapons for different species of animals going from bear to deer, dove, elk, grouse, pheasant, quail, rabbit, squirrel, turkey, duck. I talk about starter weapons. If you're brand new to hunting that animal, here's the type of weapon you should start with. And then um, a the size of the weapon that you should get. And then some basically some small helpful hints on each one of those. If we have time, we'll get into that in part two. But as far as guns are concerned, shotguns are typically the type of weapon they'll utilize for bird hunting. They come in different types of shot patterns. 
And those shot patterns, six or seven and a half, is probably what you're going to see. Sometimes you'll see a four. But basically what that six and seven and a half is is a designator for the size of shot. And so, for example, and this, this is backwards, but just hang with me. It uh, size six shot, the small individual pellets in size six shot are larger than those in size seven. Now, or seven and a half. So basically what you'll have is very close if you have a 20 gauge shotgun which is the size of the overall shell. But if you have a 20 gauge that has a six shot in it, it has about the same amount of lead in it as a 20 gauge with a seven and a half, but the seven and a halves come out much smaller, whereas the six pellets come out much larger. And so uh, if you need to take down a, a hardier game species, let's say, for example, you want to go squirrel hunting, you probably want to get the sixes. And if you want to go bird hunting, because bird hunting, other than turkey, bird hunting typically doesn't require as much knockdown power and so something like a seven and a half because they're typically harder to shoot because they're flying uh, it spreads out the shot in a wider pattern and so that's a consideration so like i grew up using 20 gauge for everything i'd hunted doves i hunted squirrels uh, when my when i first started turkey hunting i used a 12 gauge but when my son started hunting turkeys he used a 20 gauge and did so with great success so those are all uh, a good way of considering what kind of weapons that you should, or what kind of animals that you should harvest with a shotgun. Now, moving on to rifles. Rifles, man, rifles go in so many different shapes and sizes and forms and all the things that go along with them. But when you start getting into um, large game, you're going to probably need to get something that has a larger hunk of lead that's going down range. Whether you utilize a rifle or you actually utilize depending upon the laws of your state some states don't allow you to use a rifle so you have to use a shotgun and when you utilize a shotgun for that purpose you use what's referred to as a slug and a slug is basically one large projectile instead of several little small ones in the same size of gauge so um, the issue is that um, you just need to, and again, probably just get my book. I'm going to go over these. I'm sitting here thinking about thinking about this is about as vital a topic as anything, but I'll go over tomorrow in part two, the different recommendations that I put together for these different species. If you want to get started, um, but moving on, muzzleloaders are what a lot of people will call either a muzzleloader or a black powder rifle. Black powder is probably the most acceptable name for these now. Because the muzzle is the business end of the gun. That's where the shot or the shell or the cartridge, or I mean the bullet will come out. That's the dangerous side of the gun. So you don't ever want to have that pointed towards anyone or towards yourself. But a muzzle loader is an, a weapon that is loaded from that end of the gun. Now, modern uh, black powder rifles, you can actually you load the same way, but some of them are such that you can put black powder cartridges in them. Those are some old school ways of doing things as well as new school ways of doing things. And so, but a, an actual muzzle loader is one that you load from the end of the gun, the business end of the gun. Uh, and they come in shotguns and they come in rifles and they come in every shape and size and form as you could possibly consider as well. Now, the beauty, uh, you might ask yourself, why would I go about utilizing a muzzleloader rather than just your typical rifle? Well, most states offer black powder um, hunting seasons outside of those that are the norm for everybody else. And so it gives you an advantage of getting into the woods. And, you, and here in Kentucky, and I'm, 
from my understanding, this is true in a lot of different states. Uh, one of the advantages is that they'll have black powder seasons before the regular modern gun season. Uh, it just takes a, the learning curve for a black powder rifle is a little bit stronger than it is for a modern rifle. And then they shouldn't be. They should both be about the same, really. But it seems to be easier for people to use a modern rifle that you stick a cartridge in rather than a muzzleloader. And so uh, because of that, they encourage people to get out. I've taken advantage of that season for uh, my entire life. I've shot muzzleloading rifles and shotguns my entire life. Uh, my family used to be heavily involved in period correctory and acting. And so that was something that I grew up doing, and, and I love being able to take advantage of earlier seasons for black powder deer hunting. And that way you can get out and uh, get the deer before they get incredibly spooked by a lot of people being in the woods. And sometimes a rut is coinciding uh, much closer to a muzzleloading season than, let's say, a, a traditional rifle season. So with all that said, that's some interesting opportunities for you to get into hunting with shotguns, rifles, or muzzleloaders, which actually do both. So I'm up on 20 minutes. Golly, while that went fast. I've been trying to make these 15, 20 minutes long by request, and I'm telling you, that's not easy to do. But with that said, uh, what I'll do is in section, or in part two, I'll go ahead and talk about some bows. There's all kinds of different sorts of bows and bow and arrows that we can utilize. And then I'll go over that uh, chart with you from my book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear. And then I'll also go over the four rules of gun safety. Matter of fact, I should have done that today. Matter of fact, I'll do that right now. I'll take an extra minute here on this podcast and talk about it. Uh, Jeff Cooper was just an, uh, he was a United States Marine. And he's regarded as one of the 20th century's basically leading small arms experts. I mean, he's got a considerable background. And, and uh, as I record this, his wife actually died last week. And so there was a lot of information put out about Jeff Cooper and, and what value he brought to the training community and, and any number of things. But he came up with four rules of gun safety that pretty much are just the standard for any type of firearm use. And here they are. Number one is treat all guns as if they are loaded. That means if you pick up a gun, then you should always check as you pick it up pointing in the safe direction obviously check it to see if it's loaded to verify it is or it isn't let me tell you a cool story about this uh, i took a hunter education course man i was a kid i was probably 13 14 years old when i took that course i didn't have to i just took it because i wanted to back in the day and uh, now it's required for uh, people to get that hunting education hunter, uh, hunter safety education now here in kentucky but uh, we came back from a break once and they they had told us before we left on the break hey when you come back we're going to have a lot of guns on the table for you to come in and look at them which is pretty cool right so we come in from break and there's shotguns and rifles and all kinds of stuff laying there for our discussion and for our use to take a look at and as we're standing in line and people are just picking them up and looking down the barrel and pointing them out the door and all this stuff and my dad was adamant Oh my gosh, my dad was adamant about always checking a gun when you pick it up. I mean, it is just what I do. Uh, whenever I pick up a firearm, I will check to see if it's loaded or not. If you're a concealed carry per permit holder, you should do it anyway just to make sure you're locked and loaded and ready to, locked and cocked and ready to rock and all that stuff. But, uh, so I get up to the table, first gun I pick up, I, it was a shotgun, it was a Remington 870. 
I pumped that shotgun and out came a shell, my friend. Are you listening? Boom, out came a shell from this gun that people have been picking up and looking. And it was the one of the most brilliant teaching lessons I've ever seen an instructor do. Now, it, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a dummy shell. And the instructors had put dummy shells in every one of the guns. And people had come in and picked up guns and looked at them, and nobody, nobody had checked to see if they were loaded. And it was one of the most striking teaching moments that I've ever seen in my life that I will, quite frankly, never forget. So that's that's uh, number one, treat all guns as if they are loaded. Number two, never point a gun at anything you are not willing to destroy. So I see people talking about uh, pointing their guns at their dogs and dry firing and stuff like that. And if you want to kill your dog, then go ahead. But... Uh, I'm not willing to destroy my dog or my family or what's on the other side of the wall that I don't know what is there. So I pretend that every single gun that I have is loaded. That's number one. And then I never point a gun at anything I'm not willing to destroy. Just all there is to it. Uh, Number three, keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target and you have made the decision to shoot. So you pull up, put the gun out there. Your finger, your finger should be alongside the trigger guard, not actually sitting on the trigger at that time. Once you decide you're going to shoot, then you can put your finger on the trigger, and you've gone through all these four rules of gun safety. This is another reason to get out and practice a lot so you don't have to process all these individually. You do these naturally because you've done them so much. It's one of those things you don't want to practice until you get it right. You want to practice until you can't get it wrong. And so once you get that target in sight and you've decided to shoot, then you put your finger on that trigger and you can pull the trigger to to release the cartridge. Number four, last one for today, you all, is be sure of your target and what lies beyond it. As I sit here today where I sit, just two miles down the road from where I sit right now was a trailer back in the 80s where a mother had walked to the door, just was just standing at the door, holding her baby at the door. And little baby, less than a year old. And then all of a sudden, wham, this baby got shot directly in the forehead from a rifle cartridge. So, you know, obviously the first thing you think is, man, is that some sort of assassination? I mean, you know, that's just disgusting. But what it was, you all, was a deer hunter who was considerably far away. And I wish I could remember exactly where, but it was very, very far away, like close to... I don't know. I can't remember. Just I, I know where this location is, and so I'm guessing it's a thousand yards away. But the person had taken a shot at a deer running, and by chance just shot purposely shot really high. By chance missed because the guy's an idiot for shooting at an animal like that and not having a backstop. So when he missed, the bullet continued to on its trajectory went past this hill and went down and hit that child right square in the forehead. Um, just think about that, you all. That's terribly tragic. If this guy had listened to and paid attention to gun rule, gun safety rule number four, be sure of your target and and what lies beyond it, that would have never happened. So with that said, that's part one here talking about hunting. Uh, part two, we'll come back tomorrow and we'll talk about some bows. We'll talk about these critters and what kind of things I recommend for you to start with. As always with the Survival Show Podcast, be positive. Stay sharp. Keep it simple.